0: If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We are in week number two of our series, Reach Like Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Fasting and prayer are vital in reaching people because you first need to have a relationship with God before you can reach people. Um, but we, we also talked about how this series is kind of foundational. It's very foundational. There's very many things throughout this series that as we're talking about it, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, yes, we, we already know this, right? So it might come across as boring. But the reality is that we all need constant reminders that we need to pray and fast. Even though we know it's part of our spiritual walk, and, and we, some of us, we do it often, we still need to be reminded that it's still important, that there's still power in it. And today, we have another foundational piece that is kind of like, a, well, duh. Like, of course we need this, but we need to find our people. We need to find our... People. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. says, "'As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, "'he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter "'and his brother Andrew. "'They were casting a net into the lake, "'for they were fishermen. "'Come and follow me,' Jesus said, "'and I will send you out to fish for people. "'At once so they left their nets and followed him. "'Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, "'James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John.' They were in a boat with his father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. If you would pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we are given to actually open up your word and to read it, to study it on our own time, to gather together in your name and hear the word spoken to us. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive this message. Lord, may it encourage us to go out into the world and truly reach the lost in our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you ever done something by yourself that you really should have done with someone else? Every single man in here should be raising their hand right now. We've all done it. It's a guy thing. Uh. Since my dad has used me in numerous sermon illustrations, I'm going to use him for an example for once. All right. So my dad's he, he's really strong, and he's, he's a big, strong guy. You guys, you know this. So sometimes, since we've moved so much in our life, like I, I can't even count on one hand how many times we've moved, he always likes to try and move as much as he can by himself. Which means couches. He's picking it up. He's putting it over his shoulder, or at least trying to. Right? Recliners, same thing. Uh, there's even when uh, Jessica was moving into her apartment in Evansville. Dad picked up the washer and dryer, not separately, but the washer took it up a flight of stairs up to her apartment all by himself. Didn't ask me for help. Like, oh, thanks, Dad. I must be super weak to you, but. Didn't ask me for help, tried to do it all by himself. And he told me uh, once, he said, just because I know that I can doesn't mean that I should. Now, it doesn't mean that he still doesn't try to do more than what he's asked of and more than what he really should be doing, but I think we all fall guilty of that. I know I do. Um, I've taken a recliner or two up up and down a flight of stairs by myself before. It wasn't the smartest thing, but I'm young. I recovered quickly, so it's fine. I'm enjoying it while I can. But um, just because you can do something by yourself doesn't mean that you should. So you should be willing to ask for help. It's like what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, that two are better than one, and a cord of three strains is not easily broken. It's because this is a principle for our community, finding our people. You see, we are better together. We're better when we work together because we have help and support from others. Now, when we were moving Jessica out of her apartment, we, we got those washer and dryer. And, and when we took it down the flight of stairs, I helped dad so he didn't have to do it by himself. And he said, it is so much easier with two people. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm so shocked that it was so much easier to move an entire couch with two people, right? But... that's how it should be in our spiritual walk too. It is so much easier to walk through life walk and, and walk with Christ with other people than it is alone. And I can say this too, if you ever strive to go on some type of fitness journey, it's so much easier when you have love and support from other people who are doing the same thing with you than it is trying to do it all by yourself. You can, it's possible, but it's easier when someone else is walking with you. And that's what Jesus does. Now, I know the real reason that he was asking for disciples and calling for disciples was so he also knew that he was going to die, he was going to rise again, and he was going to ascend into heaven. And he needed to train and disciple people to continue the mission, to continue the work, because for some reason, he chose broken people like us to continue his work. But he could have all done it all by himself. He could have preached all by himself. He could have performed miracles without any of the disciples' help. He honestly could have come all by himself, taken over Rome all by himself and established the new heaven and new earth right then and there. But he wanted us to be a part of the story too. So he called in for a community. And I think part of that is an illustration for us that we also need to walk with other people, that we're not meant to do it alone. If Jesus, the son of God, Did it with other people. Man, us broken human beings, we got to do it too. We got to find our people too. But we're also created created for a relationship. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he calls on people to come into a close relationship with him. Now later uh, in the Gospels, you'll find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and these are the same people that come, and they're his inner circle. They're the ones that Jesus brings farther in to pray with him. But he did this at the very beginning. He did preach some. In some accounts, he had performed a couple miracles before. In other accounts, he hadn't performed any miracles. But it, the main thing is that it was at the very beginning. And I believe this is a vital piece to understand our approach as a church to reach the lost in our community, because we shouldn't try to do it all by ourselves. You shouldn't try to do it alone. You can do it. You can do ministry all by yourself, and you can reach the lost all by yourself. And I'm, I'm not saying that you as a group need to go to this one person's house and say, you are going to get saved today, right? That's not what I'm saying, right? That's a little intense. What you need to be doing is taking a step back, having your group together, which we'll get to in a second, and then you yourself go by yourself to go and reach that person because they're close to you. Now, if you need a few friends with you, that's great. But you are still called to do the work. Now, this just came to mind, so I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I've learned a lot about Christ through Mitchell Hensley and uh, the love that he has, the worship uh, that, he, uh, that he brings to the table. But there is one thing about Mitchell That if you're not close to him, you probably don't know this, but if you are, it is very, very obvious that he does not like to do much when it comes to helping others. So uh, I actually got a FaceTime call not too long ago, and uh, it was from Mitchell. And his whole family is searching for his wallet, and what is he doing? Telling me to, to play praise and worship songs. Right, It's very much like the the Mary and Martha situation where we have all these Marthas trying to find his wallet because he lost it and he could care less where his wallet is. He just wants to worship the Lord. But here's another thing that Mitchell is not scared of doing, asking for help. He always asks for you to carry everything. If there's anything to be carried, he's gonna be asking you to carry it for him. And though we shouldn't, completely give everything off to everyone else, we still need to ask for help and be willing to do that. Now, why do we need to have other people involved? Well, I I came up with three reasons. There's multiple reasons, but I came up with three main ones. First one's accountability. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, in that, James is describing this place of accountability where you're coming together with someone, with your people, and saying, Hey, here's some things that I'm struggling with. Here's some temptations that I've fallen into, and now they've become sin. And then the group, in response, prays for you to be healed from your brokenness. But then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it also reinforces this accountability part. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you is, has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. See, accountability is also important because it helps us stay on focus and stay focused on the mission. We need people in our life to hold us accountable to our walk with Christ because we often fall into temptations. We're broken, we're sinful, we have fleshly desires, and accountability helps Let's not fall into those as often. We can become too busy to do the good works that God has called us to do. We can become apathetic and lazy towards our mission from God. And oftentimes we say things that we shouldn't say, and we don't say things when we need to talk. But having a few people to hold you accountable, but also to celebrate with you is hard to find. But when you find them, it will make you look more like Christ, and you will be so much more healthy spiritually. And I, I can speak that from experience. I have a group of pastors that we all hold each other accountable. We meet every other week, um, not in person, but you know, virtually because we're living in a day and age where that's a thing. But it has made me a healthier leader in that. When it comes to reaching people, accountability is also so important so that you actually go and reach. You actually go what you are saying that you're going to do. Right? You actually spend some time in prayer for the other people, but then also for an opportunity to reach people. See, without accountability, it can be easy to let your command from Christ to go and make disciples into all nations to fall through the cracks and be more focused on, well, this is how I'm supposed to look. I'm going to church. I'm, I'm going to Sunday school. I'm doing all of these things that a Christian is supposed to do. And, you know, maybe I don't reach the lost very often, but, you know, I, I pray for them. I pray for them in this general prayer of, you know, I pray for all the lost to come and know you. But we, we can often get so involved in our church community that we forget that there's another community out there that hasn't heard yet. So we also need that accountability to know that, hey, if I'm going to say I'm going to reach someone, I can very easily not reach that person, say, I'm going to do it next week or I'm going to do it the week after that or I'm just going to wait a little bit before I start giving a, having a gospel conversation. But with accountability, you have other people that are praying for that person. You have other people that are encouraging you to go and reach that person. So when you come back to your accountability group and you say, hey, I didn't reach anyone, then what James says is that they're going to pray for you to be healed from your, from your apathy. They're going to pray that you be healed from your laziness. And they're going to encourage you, hey, you might not have done it this week, but this week's the week. You got to say to it. Now, in return, you'll actually want to reach more people. right? This just comes naturally. You'll want to reach more people when you're held accountable for your actions because you know the solution to the brokenness. You know the healer you know the savior of the world that can mend every single broken heart. And as you go through the process of reaching people, of reaching the lost, you'll start to be broken for what breaks God. And when you see that in our very community, it will push you to say, I know that they're broken and especially when they get healed from that brokenness. You'll be excited, just like you were when you were first saved, just like the the new conversion where where you're so excited to go and share the gospel once you see that. But as you go through this process of reaching the lost, your people will also encourage you, which leads to the second point. Finding your people is a source of encouragement and to be an encourager. Finding your people will lead to encouragement to continue fighting the good fight of faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact you are doing. When Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica, what he's saying is, I love how you encourage one another. Right? There's other things that I'm going to talk about later in the letter, but right now I'm just, I just want to talk about how great it is that you're encouraging one another. See, when we encourage each other in our walks with Christ, we actually promote holiness. We promote sanctification. right? We, we promote Christian maturity because we're constantly working on and giving the, the belief in our minds that we can actually make a difference that we can actually change, that God actually chose us to go and do his work. But why do we need to be encouraged? Well, because walking with Christ is hard, right? I don't think anyone, you might not say it to someone, but walking with Christ is hard, especially in the days that we live in. Reaching the lost is very labor-intensive, and oftentimes, it comes with very few results, which is part of the reason why I think we actually neglect this part. We tend to neglect reaching the lost because it's very tiresome and there's very little results that come from it. When Jesus approached these fishermen, they were using nets. I know typically, like we think of fishing now and we, you know, we have a line and we, we cast the line and we sit and wait. Maybe if you're fly fishing, you, you, know, you throw it out there and then you reel it in as fast as you can. But they were using nets, nets that had pretty decently heavy weights. And they would have to cast or throw them out in hopes that the net would catch some fish. And, and this constant motion, they would go all day long to try and get their catch. They would throw these nets out over and over again, and it was tiresome. Oftentimes, they didn't catch anything when they caught or when they cast the net. And it also required a lot of focus. It required persistence, dedication, and good timing. And sometimes there are seasons of our life where we feel like we're just casting our nets and nothing are happening. Right, there's obstacles after obstacles, there's setbacks after setbacks. Nothing seems to be going right. The responsibilities and the stresses of life just continue to pile on. But encouragement helps us push through, it helps us see the value of following Christ and reaching the unbelievers, even with little results. So we all need encouragement. Now, <clears throat> I've been seeing this um, on social media. I, it's actually a really, really old. Not really, really old. Um, that was a bad way to say that because most of you are alive when it happened. Um, <laughs> anyways, it is a very young study. <laughs> I don't know when it actually happened, but the scientists from Japan um, conducted a study. It's called the Rice Experiment. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Some of you are nodding your head. If you haven't, maybe when I start talking about it, you'll you'll remember it. But This scientist from Japan conducted this experiment, and I've been seeing people do it at homes. Uh, There's universities that have done the same study, and they're all getting very similar results. It's very easy to do. The original experiment was done by putting white rice in three separate jars and covering them with water. And they would seal it and have it set aside for a month. Now, in the first jar, he said positive words to it. Sometimes you'll see when people do it at home, they write the word love and they tape it on it. But he would just walk up, it seemed really silly, but he would walk up to the jar and he would tell, tell it things like, thank you, I love you, you're doing great, you're amazing. The other jar, which is typically labeled the hate jar, he, he walked up to it and he gave it insults, said, you're ugly, you're stupid, I hate you. And the third jar... Didn't have anything written on it and it was ignored. And for an entire month, he did this every single day for like 30 seconds to a minute. He would just say insults, say positive things, or not say anything at all. Now, after a month had passed, I, I was going to put something on the screens, but I couldn't find like a decent before and after picture. But the first jar, that was encouraged began to ferment and it gave off this strong, pleasant aroma. And all the the rice in the jar was still white or relatively white. The second jar that was told insults turned black with mold. Which I think is a really unique way. I've not tried it on my own, right? I'm trusting the people on the internet that have done this. But it's a really unique way of showing how our words actually matter. Right, What we speak does something to us. So if everything that you say to someone is criticisms of, you need to do better, your words are going to hurt them. Your criticism needs to be constructive. So when you find your people, there are going to be moments where you have to have constructive criticism because we're not perfect. We all need improvement. But there also has to be encouragement. So it's like, hey, you know, you need to work on these things, but here's how you can work on these things. Constructive, right? I'm giving you something to work on. I've given you steps to work on it. But then you're doing these things really, really good. So you're, you're putting them both. But what I find interesting is what happened to the third jar. The jar that was ignored. It wasn't said anything. No hateful words, no loving words the jar turned green and began to rot. What I think this illustrates is that if we are not encouraged by one another, we will begin to think that no one really cares about it and our spirit will begin to rot. Our soul will begin to be decayed. So for your own reflection... Right, I don't want any hands showing up, not that you would because you're Baptist, but for those who regularly attend, when was the last time you encouraged someone who goes to this church? Or maybe a better question, when was the last time that you were encouraged by someone else in this church? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. But encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So don't let a day go, out, go away without encouraging someone. As long as it is called today, Scripture says we need to encourage one another every single day. But more than encouraging one another daily, we also need to pray for each other and the ones that we're reaching daily, which leads to the last one, prayer. We talked about it last week, we're going to talk about it a little bit this week because it's so important. Finding your people means that you will have other people praying for you and praying for the ones you're trying to reach with you. James chapter 5:16 again says, "Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective." Right, The whole goal of this series is to reach people effectively, to be as an effective of a church as we can. And without prayer, we're not effective. Without prayer, we don't have anything. We might have some really good kids programs. We might have some really good systems built. We might have a decent preacher. We might have good music. But without prayer, we're nothing. Without prayer, we can never be fully effective and i think how jesus demonstrated this is in the garden of gethsemane jesus calls peter and uh, james and john to keep watch and pray because his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow see jesus called them to pray with him so that he would be encouraged and strengthened now we know the actual story that they fell asleep in the prayer but uh, god still answered the prayer and sent an angel in luke chapter 2 or 22 verse 43 Upon praying, Luke says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. When we pray for one another, we're strengthened by those prayers. Not because we speak some amazing thing, but because God listens and hears and answers our prayers. Something that I heard this past week from another pastor. He was talking about uh, Jesus in the garden and he said, we, many of us, we look at that story and we see what Jesus actually prayed for. He prayed that the cup would pass from him, right? Thy will be done. Like, hey, he's praying, God, don't make me go through this. But he still has to go through it. So we have trouble seeing how God actually answered that prayer, but this is how he answered the prayer. He sent an angel to strengthen him so that he could push through. And I'm telling you, I believe that if you pray long and hard enough, you will find that God will send people to you to strengthen and encourage you and to pray for you. And this is what it means to be in a Christian community. Christian community was never meant for the light shows. It was never meant for us to just come and sit and listen to a good preacher that might be slightly attractive. I know, I can't (laughs) help it. But it was never meant to just gather, to talk to one another, and then when we leave, never see each other again, never talk again, never pray for each other. Church community was never meant for that. Church community was never meant for a prayer one call to be going out so that people can know what's going on in the church. No, a real church community hears the the call Here's this someone who needs prayer and you get down, you pray on your knees right then and there. Right? I'm guilty of that too, saying, okay, you know, I'm the one that get the call and I'll be like, okay, you know, I'll send it out, I'll send it out and I'll forget about it, right? We're all guilty of that, I'm sure. But Christian community was meant so that we would come together and encourage one another. And yes, there needs to be an inner circle with you. There needs to be the people that you trust the most within the church to hold you accountable because the whole church is not meant to hold you accountable. There needs to be people that are specifically speaking words of encouragement to you because the whole church isn't going to. There needs to be people who you know and you can trust are praying for you. That's your inner circle. But finding your people should extend out to the congregation as well the ones who are believers. I know that there are unbelievers that will walk in. There's, there's people who are struggling and, and they haven't been in the faith. They haven't been in church for a long time. They're gonna walk in. You can't expect them to pray for you, right off the bat at least. But for the ones who are the solid foundation of this church, the ones who are called by the name of God and try their best every single day to live out their call, those are the people that you know are praying for you, even if you don't know that they're praying for you. That's what Christian community is meant to be. And prayer also holds us accountable because we also need to know that we have to pray too. It keeps us accountable to know that we're praying not only for our church, but for our people. But not only do we need to pray for each other, we need to pray for those who are trying to reach. Matthew chapter five, verse 44 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, typically we think of the people that we don't like. But biblically, I, I think I'm not out of line for saying this. If you're not with God, you're an enemy of God. And an enemy of God, and you're, if you're a follower of God and God has an enemy, that is also your enemy. Pray for the ones who are lost pray for the ones who are in need of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray to God to give you the opportunities to reach them at the right time and for God to soften their hearts so that they have ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And like most things with prayer, like with most things, when it comes to prayer, two praying is better than one. And a cord of three strands of three people who are praying, it's not easily broken. There is a group of 12 men thousands of years ago who prayed for the people to be reached. They prayed that God would give them a heart of repentance. They prayed that they would reach at the right time. And those 12 men over 2,000 years ago would continue spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, turning the ancient world upside down. And the gospel would spread like wildfire. And if you think for a second that this can't happen in our community too, in some small church of people who are dedicated to Christ and are praying for an actual move of God, then you're wrong. God is willing to work where the people are willing to work. We have to be willing to go wherever God leads us and we need to do it together. For far too long, churches across America, I've seen it. They've been less and less willing to serve and more and more willing to sit. For far too long, churches have relied on just the pastor and maybe a handful of others to do all the ministry all by themselves. That's not how church was. If you look at the church church in the book of Acts, it was never supposed to be that way. Everyone contributed something. And for some reason, after all these years later in America, we find churches who are saying the pastor, that's the pastor's job. Well, they're the ones that always do the ministry, so they're locked into ministry, that specific ministry, for the rest of their life, so that all of the other ones can sit back and not contribute and watch ministry happen. Biblically speaking, that's unbiblical, and that's not a mark of a healthy church. That's the mark of a dying church. It was never supposed to be that way. We're all to contribute something because we all have something to give. If you believe for a second that you can walk into this church and think that you, as a member of this church, you have nothing to contribute, you're wrong. God has placed you in this church for a reason. It may not be the same reason that it was 10 years ago, but it's still a reason. You still have gifts given by God You still have abilities and talents. And God commands you to use those to contribute to church. So my prayer for this church is that we're the most efficient and effective church that we can be. That we are so efficient and effective at reaching the lost and teaching them to obey the commands of Christ. That we don't just evangelize, bring them all in, and then have all of these Christians Who could very easily stumble and fall away, but that we bring them in so that they can be discipled too, so that they can learn to obey the commands of God. So, I'm wrapping up. How do you find your people? Well, it's pretty simple. It takes some time, but it's really simple. And that's why I left it towards the end. Pray about it, pray about it first. Going back to last week's message, Jesus prayed for 40 days and 40 nights before he called anyone. Before he talked to anyone, before he invited anyone in to follow him. And it's not always who you expect. Right? You can probably have a list of people in your mind that you're like, I really want them to be my people. It's not always gonna be those people because Jesus didn't call the religious leaders. He called the low-class fishermen. He called the outcasts in the society. But once God puts those people on your heart, you may not like those people, but maybe God's doing something different in you and revealing some weakness inside of you that you need to be strengthened by them. But once God puts those people on your heart, just simply ask them to walk with you. If they say no, move on to someone else. But if they say yes, begin your journey praying for each other, reading and studying scripture regularly together, reaching together. And I want to give you just a little bit of encouragement before I leave. So I'm going to start this encouragement movement. When you find your people and you begin praying and reaching together, you're not going to see results very fast. Most, most likely, right? If you do, that's great. If you're the other group that's not seeing anything, be encouraged. You're planting seeds. You're planting seeds and your responsibility as a Christian is to plant those seeds, to water them, to give them nourishment, and to give them the right environment to grow. That's all you're called to do. God is the one who actually does the growing. So in that same illustration, you're planting the seed, you're putting in the work to cultivate an environment for that person to be reached. But then you're stepping away, going to your people, saying, we need to pray for God to grow something inside of them. We need to pray that God would move in their heart in such a great and mighty way. And there will be many times that you'll walk back and you won't see anything, you'll walk back, you won't see anything, but then you'll see a sprout. Don't quit at the sprout. They still need time to grow. So you continue to water. You continue to cultivate that good environment for growth. And any weakness that you think you have, he's already made you stronger in it. Don't be too hard on yourself when it looks like you failed because you have nothing to prove to God. If you had something to prove to God, then none of us would have any hope. All of us were broken. All of us fell short of the glory of God. As Romans 5, 8 will say, for while we were still sinners, not while we were still religious, not while we were still going to church, not while we were still trying our best, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have anything to prove to God. You don't have anything to prove to Christ. All you have to do is just follow him and go exactly where he leads you to. And as you continue to come back and you nourish the souls of the unbelievers and you come back and you pray for them, pray that God will grow those seeds and watch as all of your hard labor will grow into something so beautiful. And it's in that moment that you'll see the infinite and eternal value of reaching the lost the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of work. It's very hard sometimes. It's discouraging, but that's why we need our people to help us reach. And I don't know if this is true for all of you, but I believe that there's someone in here who you genuinely want to reach the lost, but you're tired of being rejected. You're tired of all of the failures You need to find your people. You need to find the ones who are going to encourage you so that you continue to fulfill the call on your life to go to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey Christ's commands. If you want to reach people effectively, you have to pray, you have to fast. And you have to find your people. So go and find your people. Heavenly Father